This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hi friends and welcome back to another episode of Open House, a fresh, fun and real podcast where I, Louise Rumble, invite you inside the therapy room with me to learn from some of the very best psychologists, therapists and sex and intimacy coaches that I have found. No topic is off the table, no question too juicy and no experience too shameful. At Open House, everyone is welcome. And we're on a mission to develop a new mental health experience for all because we believe that true happiness is coming home to yourself under the layers and layers of you that society has told you to be. As ever, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and you should always seek professional medical help when necessary. Now, let's get into it and I'll see you on the other side. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Open House Podcast. Today, I am so excited to have a new guest with me. I have got Emily McDonald, who is currently studying a PhD in neuroscience, which if that isn't the fucking coolest thing you've ever heard, then I don't know what is. And I found Emily on TikTok and I just loved her content, loved her vibe. And I feel like she's sharing so much knowledge and so much information today with the world in a very disruptive way. And she's also absolutely beautiful, which shouldn't make a difference. But I just love these strong, incredible, powerful women that are changing the paradigm today in the world of neuroscience and psychology. So if you want to follow Emily, you can go and find her on TikTok. I'll put her link in the show notes and any else that she wants to link. But today we are talking about heartbreak. Now, this is something that I get messages about all the time. We get requests for episodes. It just is something that hurts so badly. And anyone that has followed my journey knows that it is something that literally took me to rock bottom and back about two years ago. So when you've gone through something, you just... You want to help people in any way you can. And that is what we're going to do today. We are going to pick Emily's brains on what is going on in the brain, in the body, when we are going through heartbreak. I'd love to just go into some of like more of the science behind it. Yeah. um, So it impacts all of the systems in our brain or most of them. And I'll start with the cognitive networks. So that's kind of cognitive thinking, um, trying to work through problems things like that, Um, the brain starts to shift away from the the cognitive and thinking and regulatory systems. So we kind of start to lose that regulation on our thoughts and emotions because the brain starts to put its resources toward emotional systems, which really kind of just triggers a downward spiral for us in a way because we lose our ability to think rationally. The next one would be the bonding system. We get a decrease in oxytocin after we go through this breakup obviously like we were running on high when we were in love and now we go through this breakup and it's like we are 
in withdrawal from the oxytocin, but oxytocin is more than just love and bonding. It also binds to opioid receptors in our body. So it literally is a natural pain reliever. And so we're losing that. We're in withdrawal from a natural pain reliever. So what's it going to feel like? Pain. And then our reward system, it impacts our reward system as well, like what we were just talking about with dopamine. We'll touch on this later as well with tying into pain and everything. But with the reward system, it is hijacked when we are in lust and in attraction and then in love. And then, you know, we kind of get to this new level of like homeostasis and we create a new baseline for ourselves when we're in love. And then whenever we go through this breakup, all of a sudden we have a huge drop in serotonin and increase in cortisol, which is stress hormone and increase in dopamine. And those things are going to drive you to try to get back together with that person, whether you want to do that or not is your choice. Um, And then for our stress systems, Like I was saying just before this, we have an increase in cortisol and a decrease in serotonin. So if we have a lot of serotonin, we are feeling safe and secure. And that's most likely you can't really feel safe and secure and stressed. They kind of balance each other. But when we have a huge decrease in serotonin, all of a sudden stress goes through the roof. And then that plays into pain as well in the pain system and the decrease in serotonin and the decrease in oxytocin. So that, like I was saying, oxytocin binds opioid receptors in our body. And we have natural pain relievers just floating through our system and they are binding opioid receptors and opioid drugs bind the same receptors. Oxytocin also has a similar effect. So if we are having a huge drop in oxytocin, we are losing those endogenous pain relievers in our body. And then for our limbic system, kind of our emotional regulation system, when we have an increase in stress, we actually lose the ability to think critically and think logically. And we actually see a decrease in the prefrontal cortex, which is that area of the brain that's responsible for decision making and executive functioning and planning. So all of these things kind of are just playing together, the low serotonin and the high dopamine, high cortisol, high norepinephrine. It's like everything that is making you anxious and energetic is super high. And then the serotonin that keeps you stable and the oxytocin that keeps you stable, those are both really low. So it's kind of like just the perfect cocktail for stress and anxiety. Okay, this is so fascinating. And I also think that everyone deals with their breakups differently, right? Like I obviously I'm not the science person here. I understand we all kind of have like a genetic predisposition to sort of act in in certain ways and then we also have learned like responses through what we experienced when we were younger and stuff like that and I always think it's so interesting to see how different people deal with things differently you know some people like shut themselves out and they literally like you know my breakup hit me so bad it was like I couldn't eat I literally had nightmares every night like I cried like the whole time it was just such a nightmare Whereas I feel like some other people kind of maybe go the other way where they where they just like block it all out and they like really distract themselves and like they go out and maybe they drink, take drugs, like et cetera, et cetera. And I don't really know what my question here is, but I think I've got two. And I think my first one is it's so interesting to understand like this is happening at a neurotransmitter level in our body. So when you feel like you are going fucking crazy, just understand that really this is going on so deep within you. And one of my questions for you is 
how long is like, I don't know if it's like half-life or if that's like the correct terminology, but these kind of things, like when you have these drops in all the things that we've just spoken about, is there like a different amount of time that it takes for different things to kind of rebalance or is that really like it can just be so different like person to person? I think that it can differ a lot between people. It's different for everyone how long it's going to take for you to move into like after you go through that withdrawal, because that's really the first step is going through that withdrawal when you're really in that low state. And then after that, it's kind of just like, you can handle it more, but you might still be thinking about them. I think the goal really is just to speed up that withdrawal process. And three ways to do that is 5-HTP supplements, gratitude practice, and then connecting with loved ones and talking about our feelings and letting that energy move through us so we're not bottling it up. My little brother just went through a breakup of after four years. And like I was saying, what's keeping us stable and secure is that serotonin. And we have a huge drop in serotonin. Something that can be super helpful is 5-HTP supplements. 5-HTP is just the name of serotonin. You don't want to take that for a long period of time because it can, it can, tolerance can build. It's the same way with anything like L-DOPA and all those things. You don't want to be taking those long-term. But if you, if I take it for like two weeks, I took it for two weeks post-breakup, both times, and it made a world of a difference. I told my little brother, he started taking it and he was like, I feel so much better today. It's even just so interesting that we are calling it the withdrawal process. Like people listening to this, like it is a withdrawal process. And like, this is what Emily studies, you know, addiction, like it is a withdrawal like any other substance. Now, I've spoken about this before because I had never gone through like a cold turkey, like no contact breakup before. And I think that part of that was why this breakup hit me so hard, because it was like we went from all to nothing, like overnight. And now I know that like a lot of people feel like, oh, if I just like taper off, like, you know, slowly, like, oh, we don't speak, but like, I'm going to keep them on Instagram because I don't want to cause drama. But I think what I want to ask you is like to speed up that withdrawal process would you be advising going like full cold turkey, like block them on Instagram, you know, say like, I love you. I, I'm hurting so bad. I have to fully disconnect from this. Or do you think the tapering off approach is okay? I mean, I guess it's different drug to drug. Some drugs you would literally like die if you um, went cold turkey straight away. But I, I'm so fascinated in like, if you have any, any thoughts on that. Yes, I do. I actually feel very strongly about this. Obviously, like you said, yes, for drugs, please do not go cold turkey, especially opioids. Like you can't, and alcohol, you can literally die from those. So get help, seek help, please. But for post breakup, I am a huge proponent of cut it off. There is no like tapering. Because like, honestly, I think what's most important is asking yourself, what is your goal? What is your goal? Do you want to be self-sufficient and independent and powerful and in your own power and truly happy on your own. Is that your goal? I feel like it should be. And if it is your goal, then what's the fastest way to get there? And that's going to be cold turkey. I would say like no hard feelings toward you, but for my mental health and for my own healing, I need space to heal from this without contacting you and without seeing you and talking to you. There's absolutely like, it's not, has nothing against you. This is just personally for me to heal. 
I agree with that totally. Like, I hope, obviously, I will never go through another breakup because I'm in a very, very happy relationship. But if I was to ever go through this again, I would literally there and then be like, I am heartbroken and I have to remove myself from everything. I will remove you on whatever it is, like Instagram, even the stupid things. Like I remember when my ex, like um, we broke up, then two days later, he deleted our shared calendar. And I remember I was like in a business meeting at the time and I like lost the fucking plot. Like I saw it be removed and I had to leave the meeting and it was honestly so bad. But in hindsight, even though like what he did and the way he dealt with it felt so aggressive at the time. And for a really long time, I really held it against him. I called him heartless. Like, how could you do this? But now the pain has passed. I deeply actually have gratitude for the way that he dealt with it. I think it's one of the hardest things you can ever do is really to cut those bonds because you're getting a supply through them. You know that by cutting it and deleting it and block, even blocking their number, you know, like to a point that they cannot message you because otherwise I feel like you're living with the hope. And I'd actually love to know, is there what's going on chemically when you know, you're like waiting for a text message and you're looking at your phone. Is that like the dopamine cycle, like the reward cycle? What is kind of going on there when you've said you've broken up with them? You know, you're still looking at their phone, looking at your phone, seeing if they've looked at your Instagram story, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So that's, that's totally dopamine. As we actually become uh, addicted or not even addicted, but just habituated to rewards, we actually see a shift in dopamine to where you don't even get the dopamine from the reward anymore. You get the dopamine from the anticipation of the reward. Thinking it could come is actually what gives you the dopamine, not even the actual thing that's happening. So that alone will give you the dopamine, but also another tie into addiction is kind of context and cue induced craving. And then you get a dopamine release as well. So if you see kind of like a text or even just a picture or their name, that is enough to trigger, that's a cue, an environmental cue, that is enough to trigger dopamine release as well, which is why it's so important to unfollow on social media and and remove like another, like one of my biggest tips is to go through your photos and delete them. Those are all cues that are going to drive dopamine release. And when you have dopamine release, that's craving for the person. And just help yourself out. Remove the cues that are going to make you crave the person. You got to the picture point before I even got there. I was going to say exactly the same thing. Like you have to get rid of stuff everywhere. And I remember that I maybe was not as, as strong as you. I was like so heartbroken that I couldn't bear to delete the pictures because it felt like a, oh my God, this is like really over if I delete these pictures. But I went through, it took me such a long time. I mean, you know what us girls are like. We have like 50,000 photos on our phone and it took me such a long time. And I was like hysterically crying the whole time because obviously as you're looking at them, you're deleting them. And I just put them all in a hidden album, like everything, every last thing, anything. And they're actually probably still in there, but like, obviously I never look at them and I would definitely delete them now. But I think you're so right. Just getting them out, out, just off, put them on a hard drive, delete them, like whatever it is that you need to do, just get them out of sight and out of mind. And I would also love to ask you around the kind of like the dopamine cues, I think it was dopamine cues that you were talking about. Another thing is like this fine line between you need, I mean, some people will go fine line, like 
disassociate, disconnect, totally not want to talk about it and not process it, which is really, really important that we don't do that. And I think that most people listening to this podcast will have a real sense of awareness that like processing our emotions is so important, not only for like the short and midterm, but even for our long term health impacts. I mean, the studies that are coming out on suppression of emotions is like nuts how it can impact us in the long run. But I feel like it's that fine line between we need to talk about it to process it. But also I feel like you can actually get addicted to the talking about it because maybe the dots that I just connected through what you've just said is like, actually, you're just reliving those dopamine cues like through talking about them. So do you think that is something that can happen? And would you have any advice there? Is it like, yeah, you need to structure this, but you need to get a therapist and like process it in fixed blocks? Or how do you kind of try and not just talk about them nonstop and just keep the addiction alive in like a different capacity? Well, I think kind of what you explained about your your experience going through your photos is honestly kind of a great example of the reason for why I say that it's so important to do that. And it kind of ties into your question as well. But going through all those photos, it exposes you to all of those things and all of those memories and all of those happy things. And you were saying you were crying so hard and I was too when I was going through all my photos. But it it causes like a purge of emotion. Like if you like going through all those photos and looking at everything, it kind of like facilitates a release almost that wouldn't necessarily have happened if you didn't go through them. It kind of forces you to face it and deal with it straight away because I did it the night that we broke up literally. Um, And it also kind of forces you to believe that it is real, right? Because I feel like a lot of times when we do keep the photos and stuff, it's out of hope that we might get back together. And with the dopamine, it kind of is It's not allowing us to fully let go and talking through it. I think when we're, I I would think it's safe to say that when we're in that withdrawal stage, which maybe two weeks, maybe a month, I would say to talk about it anytime that like my brother would see something on social media that would remind him of her or something would happen. And he would come to me and we would talk about it and he would feel better afterward every single time. And he would be like, you're right you're right. And he could let it go. And it allowed like, so whenever things would come to surface, he would let it go. I think it becomes a toxic cycle and you're kind of, you're reliving it on purpose when it's like, you've already had that same situation and someone has already, like you've already talked about it and you've already gone through the same situation and you've already talked about it, but yet you're still bringing it up again. It's like, maybe you do need to like try to seek help, or maybe you should be like, that's kind of the time when you need to remind yourself like, oh, no, like I already went through this. I already had this emotion. I can just let this one go. Yeah, you're so right. It's that fine line between processing and like obsessing. And I think you just have to be really aware of no, actually, this is me obsessing over what could have been obsessing over what I could have done differently, obsessing over X, Y, and Z. And I think I heard this quote once, I don't even know who it was from, but I loved it. And it was You have to give away the belief that it ever could have been any different. And now what I took from that quote is that so often we're like at the end, we're like, oh my God, if I just done this differently, if I just done this differently, if I hadn't said that, if I hadn't had that personality trait, blah, blah, blah. 
I wouldn't be here. But the truth is, is like, you have to give away that it could have happened any differently because it happened this way. And, you know, in in nine out of 10 situations, like I truly, I mean, maybe in 10 out of 10, really, I believe like you should not be getting back with that person. Like, of course, there are times that relationships can be rebuilt and stuff like that. But honestly, I think a lot of the time when you get to the breakup phase, you really need to hard and fast look at this and be like, okay, yeah, like, I need to give away the what ifs and the could have beens like this is how it is. And I now need to work on like me. And I think it's so important what you said about getting the photos done straight away. You know, like it feels like, oh, it's too painful. I can't do it now. But actually just just do it as the most horrendous, cathartic experience of your life. And I think that this perfectly brings us to the point of physical pain and like emotional pain. So we all know that a breakup is like the most painful thing ever. And I kind of wanted to discuss that, like how it it kind of crosses that border with physical pain too. And whether it is just in that withdrawal stage, whether we should just be doing the horrendous things like straight up, just cut them all, just go through the horrendous pain within the withdrawal. Does that mean you can move on quicker? Like, is that kind of how it works? Yeah, so I said two to four weeks, but it can definitely be prolonged if you don't take the necessary action to improve your mental health and improve your state of being, like exercising and connecting with others and all of the things that we're going to talk about with my top tips. I posted a TikTok like cut with a couple tips before and I've had people tell me like it's been a year and I'm still so sad about it, but I think allowing yourself time to be sad about it and grieving like that is super important. You do need to do that. But there is a point where you need to be like, okay, I need to get up. And the most important time to eat healthy is when you're sick, right? So when the most important time to do all of these things for our mental health and for our physical health is when we're feeling down. So remember that whenever you're feeling down and do those things because they really do make you feel better and they will speed up the process. So we've kind of touched a little bit on the border between physical pain and emotional pain. Like I was saying with oxytocin, so we have we get that decrease in oxytocin and oxytocin is an endogenous natural to our body pain reliever. We lose that after we break up with someone and so we are literally physically in in more pain, but then also they've done um, fMRI studies, and there's actually a really interesting one where they were looking at participants would look at photographs of their exes, and it's with people that they reported they were still super in love with the person. And what they found was that very similar brain areas, not all of them overlapping, but some that are key in physical pain were also also lit up in the brain while they were looking at their ex. So that kind of just shows that similar brain areas become activated when we are looking at our ex, feeling rejection, emotional pain, and when we're in physical pain. And some of those include the insular cortex, the anterior cingulate, which the anterior cingulate's a really interesting brain area. It's really responsible for kind of making us see our mistakes. Like whenever we're just kind of running on autopilot and we make a mistake and we're like, oh, I messed up. That's your interior cingulate, um, which I think is really interesting. And it's it's for evolutionary purposes, right? Like we do want to notice our mistakes so that we can learn from them. But I think that this is really interesting because it goes back to what you were saying before, how we kind of are just ruminating on 
all the mistakes that we made and if it could have gone differently. And I definitely am a firm believer in everything works out the way it's supposed to. It happens for a reason. And it it couldn't have gone differently because what happened is what was meant to happen and it's what did happen. So nothing else happened. But this brain area, the anterior cingulate, is increased in activity when we're looking at our X and that's the part of the brain that's responsible for making us notice our mistakes. So we are, our brain is forcing us to look at our mistakes and think that it's all on us. Um, which I think it kind of just also makes me realize, you know, don't be so hard on yourself. Give yourself some grace. This is our biology. It is hardwired into us. Um, so they also saw increased activity in the ventral tegmental area, the VTA, which is an area of the brain really important in addiction. It is a reward center. It has a lot of dopamine neurons and it controls motivation and reward. And it's known to be involved in feelings of romantic love. So just another kind of example of how addiction and love are so related. Another brain area is the nucleus accumbens. That's highly involved in addiction as well. It's associated with craving in addiction, specifically with the dopaminergic reward system. And we see it, I see it in my studies. And also the prefrontal cortex, which is that area of the brain that's responsible for planning and executive functioning as well. I think this is such an interesting discussion because what I'm learning from you is like this impacts us on so many levels. Like I'd say the level of understanding from people with a good level of self-awareness is probably it kind of goes up to this, you know, emotional pain is perceived by the brain um, as physical pain is. But I feel like you don't hear a huge amount of people talking about all of the other things. And so I think just to go through them all with you is incredible. And I think that it's also okay for, you know, people to really acknowledge like you are going to have bad cravings, like bad cravings, just like any addict would. And I remember like I would literally like fantasize about what text message I would send him and I would like write it out in my notes and then I'd like dream about him. Like every night I dream like he'd come to me in my dreams and oh my God, it was just like so intense. And I think that it's kind of just about like really, really trying to stay grounded in those moments where like the cravings drive you to romanticize something. So I'd love to ask you a question about romanticizing in one second. But just before we get into it, I think on the romanticizing point, what I learned in my breakup that was so helpful is like as soon as you break up, you have to write a list of all of the things that you didn't like about them. Even if it's the smallest things, like they put their wet towels on the bed, you know, just like you have to put down everything. You have to also write down like five times that they made you cry and like what happened. And for me, it was like I had to make a list of the realities of the situation because hell, I was like romanticizing the fuck out of it. I was like, this is my soulmate. I have to be with him, like blah, blah. And the truth is, it's like, now I look back, I'm like, no, that was not my soulmate. And like, the feelings were so real that they make you feel that it's real, if that makes sense. So I'd love to just ask your thoughts on this whole, like, kind of romanticizing and like forgetting the bad times and only remembering the good, like a bit like childbirth. Obviously, I've not gone through it myself, but people always say like, oh, you forget how horrendous it is as soon as you have the baby in your arms. Do you think there's like a parallel there with this whole breakup in the brain? I'm not sure if it has a similar kind of 
childbirth. I'm not sure about that one, uh, but we are definitely hardwired to mate and reproduce. Like that is what our biology wants us to do, whether that's in a healthy relationship or one that's really toxic. Your brain and your body don't really care. It's really just like we are hardwired to mate and reproduce. Like that serotonin and that oxytocin, like those, like oxytocin is that bonding chemical in our brain that in our body that they, it just really wants us to be bonded with someone. And when we are having that drop in oxytocin and drop in serotonin, we have an increase in stress. We have an increase in stress and activity in the amygdala, which is the brain area important for fear processing and negative emotional states and things like that. Um, when we have all of that going on, it actually causes a decrease in activity in the prefrontal cortex, which is the area of the brain responsible for executive functioning and reasoning and all of that. So all of a sudden, our, our ability to reason and really think about kind of the reasons why we broke up and, you know, all the logical things that really are true all of that just kind of goes out the window and all that we can think about is how we feel uncomfortable and how we feel like we want to be bonded with someone, whether that's in a good or bad relationship. And our brain also really wants us to be comfortable. It wants to be able to run on autopilot because that's how we can conserve the most energy. And what's more comfortable is being being in an unhappy relationship or being unhappy, broken up with them and alone. Like definitely being in that unhappy relationship is more comfortable. So your brain is just driving you back toward that. Like on every single level after a breakup, our brain and our body is driving us back toward the other person. And really the only things that we can do are try to incorporate behavioral things to increase activity in the prefrontal cortex and increase serotonin. And one of the best ways to increase activity in the prefrontal cortex is mindfulness meditation and just sitting there and watching your thoughts go by and observe them. That's a really great way to increase activity. Yeah. The mindfulness is really interesting because I think when you're going through a breakup, you just think that is the last thing I can do right now. Like I am literally like a broken person and I'm in so much pain. And I feel like it's okay for also us to accept that like maybe the first few times that you do that, you will just sit there sobbing. But I love that we're going to add this to the kind of list of, of top tips, Emily's top tips. And, you know, we've also spoken about the importance of communicating and connecting with people around you and deleting the photos, writing the list, accepting the reality that it could have been any different, et cetera, et cetera. And I think one thing I want to ask before we move into the final section of the episode, which is the top tips is, and this might be one of them. So you might, you were going to pick up on it already, maybe because you already referenced it, is I would love if you could just give a very brief overview as to how, like what we eat and drink during a breakup, like how important that can be for the development of the neurotransmitters, like in our body and our brain and stuff like that. I feel like it's so important, but we're not really talking about it still a lot in today's society. I've been told by my friends that I am so disciplined when it comes to what I eat. And Really, what I say and what I said to my best friend, we were shop grocery shopping. I said to her, I said, I'm not disciplined. I just think about how what I'm going to eat is going to make me feel after I eat it. And that's how I decide whether or not I buy it. People really need to understand that what we eat is affecting us 
on every single level, including our ability to think and reason, which is why, like I said, the best time to eat healthy is when you're sick, but also when you're going through a breakup. Eat healthy foods that are nourishing to your brain and your body, like healthy fats, like avocados are super important for the brain. And I think maybe a reason why people tend to increase their carb intake is because carbs increase serotonin. It's also the rest and digest neurotransmitter. And so eating, I think that's why people tend to eat a lot after they, when they're going through a breakup or they go the opposite direction and they don't eat. I think that was more me is that I didn't eat after I went through my breakup. But going out of your way to eat healthy foods will really help like whole foods, like fruits and vegetables and things that grow, not things that are processed. I think there's so much that people talk about, about all the different diets and everything. And I get asked about what the best diets are, but really it's just whole foods. Like just stay away from the processed packaged foods at the grocery store and you're fine. You don't need to be so stressed about it. Like there's not like a specific diet that's best for everyone. It's really just about eating whole foods that are natural and hopefully organic if that's an option for you. But if not really just whole foods are the best way to go. It's so interesting what you said about the serotonin because I feel like I'm a big comfort eater and I never really like understood why that was until I started talking to people and they explained exactly the same thing as you. You know, this is literally impacting like the neurotransmitters in your body and it's making you feel a certain way. And I think that it is just so important to understand that in the short term, maybe you want to eat so much shit, you want to eat ice cream, you want to eat pizza and all of this stuff. But it's just not going to help you feel better. But I also understand that sometimes you do just have to do it because it's like either that or texting your ex. So like, yeah, if it's like a pizza or calling them, just eat the pizza and just like indulge in it and, and just be gentle and, and kind and compassionate with yourself. Like, I mean, I think the pizza is the sensible decision rather than unblocking them and messaging them. Um, so yeah, get, get the pizza if you have to. But I think it's so interesting to learn from Emily that whole foods and just trying to get that fruit and veg in and I guess the stuff that's going to help build your brain rather than like damage it in, in this like really critical period is really important and I guess this now brings us to the final part of the episode which is do you have any other tips and tricks is there anything that we haven't spoken about what else would a trainee neuroscientist add to the ultimate breakup guide our memory recall is highly context dependent. It's why it's easier to remember things. Like if I'm going, if I go back to where I went to undergrad and walked on campus, all of a sudden memories would flood back to me of when I went to undergrad here. And that's because when we are in a context similar to somewhere we've been before, all of a sudden memories are going to be coming to us. It describes the feeling of nostalgia and things like that. So looking back at all of our happy photos of our with our ex is only going to flood your brain with more happy memories of your ex, which is just another reason why delete the photos. No contact. We've already discussed that kind of leads into the next tip. Louis kind of beat me to it by listing all the negatives about the relationship and your ex. Do it. So as soon as you go through this breakup, the first thing I did when I went to my phone is to make three lists 
The first list is all of the negatives, everything that went wrong with the relationship, everything that that relationship didn't have that you want in a future relationship, all the times they made you sad, just literally everything you could possibly think of, make it as long as you possibly can. And then go in and make a list about all the positive things about you, everything that you love about yourself and everything that you have to offer, everything, because we are like, right, we're, we're feeling that decrease in love for ourselves and all of that because we lost a connection and we we're feeling pain and rejection. So we need to learn to to accept and love ourselves. And one of the best ways is to do that. And those two lists, remember that you made them because now every single time that you start to feel sad or miss your ex, go read those lists. And because basically it's forming a new habit loop because right now when you go through a breakup, your habit is get think about them and get sad and miss them and think about the happy times and everything that you're missing about them. You can rewire your brain to where now you see a cue that makes you think of them and you go read those lists. After like a week or two of doing that, for me, it was like a few days of every time I think of them, I'd go read the list. After that, after a certain amount of time, all of a sudden, every time I think of them, my brain just automatically goes to those lists. I don't have to even read them anymore. It's just like, oh, wait, that relationship didn't have what I wanted. And oh, yeah, I am amazing. And that just becomes the wire that or the pattern that you build into your brain. And from there, Getting over your ex is super easy. Once you've got that association made in your brain between thinking about them and those lists, you're going to be able to move on just so quickly. I had this memory come back to me that I've not thought about in like eight years of when I broke up with an ex-boyfriend a long time ago and I sent the list that we spoke about to my best friend at the time or like to three of my close friends. So whenever I would message them, she would actually remind me of the reasons that we broke up. And it felt like it was like taking that even one step further because you can read the list and you can be like crying and be like, oh, but I missed them and I didn't mind that they did this because like blah, blah. There's something different when you have someone like telling you like, no, like you are not together because of this. It's like an interesting kind of coming from a different angle. And then another list that I would make because you're going to have a lot more free time. And so I go in and make a list of all the things that I've always wanted to do or try that I haven't had the time to do. Or maybe my ex didn't really wasn't interested in that. So we didn't do that. Shows that I've wanted to watch that I didn't because they didn't want to watch it. All that kind of stuff. Make as long as list as possible. That way, whenever you are feeling lonely or you're feeling like because you're you have that dopamine because you're craving the person you're you want them, you're craving them naturally what do you do with that dopamine you need to do something with it like the best way to like kind of get rid of the craving for your ex is to use that dopamine for something else so you have all this motivation it's why we can get that breakup bod and all that like utilize the dopamine that you have that's normally being used to crave the person but now we can use it to go do things that we've been wanting to do or try but we haven't been able to and that kind of leads into exercise. Exercise, people don't understand. They talk about endorphins, but really it's endogenous endocannabinoids. So we have cannabinoids, an endocannabinoid system. It's where THC binds. It's named after cannabis, but it's it's responsible for pain relief. Oxytocin also plays in this system as well. But when we exercise, we actually get an increase in our natural endocannabinoids, the cannabinoids in us, and that increases pain relief. So exercise literally relieves pain. Exercise, do it. And it also increases dopamine and increases self-love and confidence and all the things that you need right after you went through a breakup. Um, I mentioned this earlier, the 5-HTP uh, supplement, super duper helpful. Don't take it for 
a prolonged period of time because you can build tolerance for it. I think like two weeks, whenever you're going through, whenever you're still making that association between thinking about your ex and those lists, I think is the best time to take it. But I really think that once you are in the habit of looking at those lists, every time you think of your ex, like you're really, you're on, you're going to be on track to just healing so much faster. And then the second to last thing is connection, connecting with your loved ones, connect with your friends. In a study, it's called Rat Park, but there have been many studies since when they put animals um, together in a and house them together, rats that have social connection are actually less likely to do drugs and relapse to drugs than rats that are housed in isolation. So you will be less likely to relapse to your ex and less likely to crave your ex if you have social connections. So go out and hang out with your friends, hang out with your family, reach out. If you can't hang out with them, call them, talk to them, you know, really connecting with people. It helps so much. Also, talking about it, we kind of mentioned this earlier, but an fMRI study actually showed that naming your emotions and putting your feelings into words, they called it self-examination, it activates the prefrontal cortex circuits, which can calm down the limbic system, which is the emotional system. So just naming and being mindful and putting your feelings into words literally gives you control over the, the emotional state that you're going through, which I think is just a super powerful tool. And then lastly, I do this, not just going through a breakup all the time, but listen to emotionally empowering music. Uh, listen to music that hypes you up. Like I remember after every breakup, I have a breakup song and it's always something that's just ridiculous, but it really like, it gave me so much confidence confidence and I would just I would listen to it on repeat for like days and just like be in the zone of being confident and moving on from my ex and those things all I think if you do all of those things you'll be well on your way to healing and having the best revenge comeback ever they are so helpful thank you so much you've literally shared so much value there that are going to help so many people and I think my other thing that you said about the connection so I went through my breakup in COVID so I was like in the middle of a lockdown the ability for human connection was non-existent like we weren't allowed to have any and oh my god it was just so bad but what I did get and I'm not advocating getting a puppy like a, a dog is for life, not just for a breakup. But I have to say that my dog is the best thing that has ever happened to me in terms of like, and I don't know if it's dopamine or oxytocin, like I don't know what you get from cuddling with a pet. But there's a way that you can get love from animals that maybe you don't feel so comfortable getting from another human like you know I'm very lucky that I'm very close with my mum and if I need a cuddle when I'm really crying like we all we're big into cuddling but I do not have that relationship with my dad at all so I can totally understand how some people may not be able to get that connection because they don't feel that they can be intimate or affectionate with other human beings through whatever they've gone through in their life so I think the whole animal angle is, is so interesting as well and, and can be really helpful like borrow a friend's dog or like go and do some equine therapy or go horse riding or just like whatever it is that you can that you can sort I think it is a great way to help and I think my final question for you I don't know if you have an answer to this is we often tend to want to grab for like sleeping pills or Valium or Xanax, et cetera, et cetera. Now in the UK, it's much harder to get your hands on those than I think in the States or 
like, you know, my boyfriend's in Mexico. So if I used to be taking drugs in Mexico, I would just go and buy them over the counter, like really very dangerous. Um, And I think that's part of why my breakup years ago now was so painful because I am sober, no drugs, no alcohol, nothing. So it was like, you have to face up to it. I just wanted to ask you as my very final question, what happens when you are taking like sleeping pills and drugs? Does it delay the pain or like, is it numbing it for a while? Like, do you have any thoughts on that? Are you just replacing the addiction? So I would also like to mention that my PhD minor, which I've already finished, is in medical pharmacology. But actually, there was something interesting that I was looking into. And it, it's it found that and this might kind of be science to prove the point that I was kind of going to make anyway, that men take longer to get over a relationship than women do. And that's or so the science says is because men are more likely to um, self-medicate with alcohol and drugs and they're more likely to binge go out binge drinking and have those random hookups where women are more likely to feel the pain acutely but men feel it more long term because it does push away the healing process you're not allowing yourself to heal if you're not allowing yourself to feel the feelings they're always going to be there if you don't work through them and taking drugs it just it might numb the pain acutely in the beginning but we store trauma we store our emotions if we don't purge them and feel them and talk about them it will only come back later on to haunt us and even worse than it would have if we just handled it now because those types of drugs i mean just long term on the brain like they do change your brain there's not i don't think that there's enough research really the long-term effects of a lot of drugs like that and that's big pharma at its finest don't get me started on that but um I think that doing drugs and doing all of those things to cope with a breakup is definitely like just so not a good decision just face your emotions I mean if it's really like deteriorating your health and like making you physically ill and like you you need like something to stabilize you like yeah I mean go talk to a psychiatrist and see like but I I do not recommend doing it recreationally at all yeah couldn't agree more and it's just so amazing to hear that from someone like you with the studies and the the work and the qualifications that you have under your belt so I think that's the perfect place to end and I know we really come up for time this is going to be a long episode I'm sure everyone listening is so grateful for the time that you've given us you truly have shared so much with us I think we've gone so deep into this topic that we talk about often but have not sort of as of yet been able to go into the neuroscience of so I am so deeply grateful for your time and for sharing your presence and your space kind of with us. I know that you are going to be helping thousands of people through this podcast that go through intense pain after a breakup and just don't even know where to start in in terms of how to handle it. And just to bolster on the back of what Emily was saying, please do seek help if possible to talk through this with a therapist. Uh, From my own experience, there can be a lot of things under the surface in terms of rejection, abandonment, you know, even defectiveness schemas where when someone leaves you, they confirm subconscious beliefs that you're never going to be loved or you're always going to be rejected and you're going to be on your own forever, which Emily has taught us is like the pinnacle or the ultimate thing that's going to make your brain go into meltdown, like rejection, caveman days, you're going to be left on your own on the savannah and that equals death. So yeah, please, please seek help. I will link all of Emily's details in the show notes, including the 5-HTP supplement that she's recommended because 
as you guys hopefully know, it is so, so important where you source your supplements from. Sadly, you can't necessarily trust everything out there today. And there's a lot of greenwashing and sort of conflicting info going on on even how supplements are made and what's in them. So we will put one of Emily's recommendations in the show notes. And other than that, Emily, thank you so much. So grateful for sharing this experience with you. And hopefully you'll be able to come back on the podcast another time soon, because I'm sure we have so much more we could talk about. Thank you for reaching out to me. I thank you for having this podcast and being able to have these conversations, I think is so important. Just being able to spread the knowledge and the love for everyone. I just hope everyone listening can just gain something from it and hopefully heal faster. Thank you so much. Speak to you soon. Bye.